It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. The week's most interesting interviews with senators, commentators, and newsmakers. Giving you a replay just in case you missed it. The Guy Benson Show. Time for the happy hour on this Monday here on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. Broadcasting from New York. Filling in for Kennedy tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, Fox Business Network. Hope you will Tune in for that. Had a great time on Thursday. Back at it tonight. The Guy Benson Show, sponsored in the happy hour by the Finnish Long Drink. Delicious, crisp, and refreshing. It's especially good in the heat of summertime in which we find ourselves right now. Isn't that convenient? TheLongDrink.com is their website. TheLongDrink.com. You can find out where it's sold near you. If they haven't expanded to your area yet, and they're expanding rapidly, you can also order online at thelongdrink.com. Always drink responsibly, 21 plus only. Our website is guybensonshow.com. Straightforward, available to people of all ages. Family friendly. We encourage you checking it out, including our free podcast every day. Guybensonshow.com or foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your free podcast. As we begin the happy hour, I am pleased to welcome back to the show my friend and New York Times number one best-selling author, Brad Thor. His new book, which is out tomorrow, which I'm holding here in my hands, is Black Ice, a thriller. It is the 20th novel in the Scott Harvath series, Scott Harvath being the protagonist. And Brad, it is great to have you here. Congratulations on another book and 20 Harvath novels. Can you believe it? can't believe it. And thanks for having me back on, Guy. Oh, it's my pleasure. So we talk every year, right around now. It's something that I always look forward to because you have a novel out every summer. You are always kind enough to send an advanced copy to the house, and I try to time it where I bring it to the beach, and I read it on the beach, and that's exactly what I did. I read it up in Cape Cod, cover to cover. I read it very quickly because your books are always page turners. Before we get into some of the plot and the themes of Black Ice. I've mentioned this on the air already, but I just want to personally thank you for really, I mean, Harvath is, you could argue that he's the main character in this book, but to me, the main character in this book, the pivotal character, is one Adam Benson, uh, who appears perhaps in somewhat limited form towards the end of the book, but you were extremely nice and generous to create this little composite character named after me and my husband, Adam, and we got such a kick out of it, especially the detail about our favorite cocktail that he ordered. That's awesome. So thank you, Brad, and I will be recommending Black Ice to everyone forever because of that. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to do it, but if the truth be told, I do it. Yeah, I did it because I love your mother-in-law. Uh, met her at the wedding. I think she's absolutely fantastic, and I figured she'd get a pretty big kick oh, out of that. But She lost uh, it. 
but you guys are, are dear friends of mine as well, so it was kind of fun. And that's, you know, 20 books in, and you and I have talked about this before. You know, I tell people my novels are like the James Bond movies. If the new one is out in the theater and you've never seen any of the prior Bond movies, you can go right in and see the latest Bond film and not feel like you missed out on anything. And that's how I write these books. But it's part of the fun of creating this thriller universe is being able to incorporate friends and stuff like that. And I even remember when I was working on the character and I said, okay, He's going to be at you know the Hey Adams Hotel. What drink would would this character be drinking? And you fired that drink back, so oh, yeah. I included it in the book. The it's Gold Rush, be- delicious Gold Rush. By the way, you mentioned Bond. I happened mm-hmm. to go to a movie over the weekend because I just wanted to go to a theater, and it was gross and hot in New York City. And there was a trailer for the new Bond flick, which is in October, called No Time to Die. I'm so excited for it. In fact, I'll be talking about my trip to the movie theater in the very next segment here. But Brad, let's talk about your book, Black Ice. One thing that I always look forward to in your thrillers, number one, where is it going to be set primarily? Because it's just all over the world. You have these vivid descriptions of different places, different cities, sometimes very far-flung parts of the world. And this one is heavily concentrated up not just in Scandinavia, but in the Arctic. And the other thing that I look forward to in these novels is how much you inject, and I believe the term that you like to use is faction, where you take cutting-edge, real-life, global security, terrorism concerns, national security concerns, and you fold them into your plot lines and really educate people about existing or emerging threats. And in this case, it was, unsurprisingly, the malign influence of not just Russia, but also China, So without giving too much away, give people the elevator pitch about black ice and what they can expect when they go out and buy black ice starting tomorrow. So there's the facts. Thank you. Faction is what I do, where you don't know where the facts end and the fiction begins. But let's reverse that. So let's start with the fiction. My protagonist, Scott Harvath, America's top spy, has fallen in love with this gorgeous, tall, blonde Norwegian spy named Solvi Kolstad with this cool uh, phrase from Sartre that's tattooed down her spine, and she's a deputy director at the Norwegian Intelligence Service. Harvath had a fabulous summer in Oslo, and he's out of vacation days, out of sick days, and uh, his office is calling from D.C. saying, listen, uh, you either get back by Monday or tender your resignation. And he's a true believer that there cannot be an American dream without those willing to fight to protect it. And he misses the action, even though he loves this woman. And so he's got five days left to go in Norway, and then he's going to hop on a plane back to D.C. And as he's walking out of his favorite cafe, he sees a ghost climb out of a taxi, someone he killed years ago halfway around the world. How can this be? How can this person still be above ground, breathing? I stayed until they went room temperature. So the race is on to figure out not only how is this person still alive, but what the hell are they doing in Norway? That's the fiction. This is actually set against a real-life scenario uh, that I picked up from watching uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. So Pompeo did two things I thought were really interesting. Number one, he like snorted, he guffawed when the Chinese declared themselves a quote-unquote near-Arctic state. The closest Chinese settlement to the Arctic Circle is over 800 miles away, and it was like a Seinfeld, a made-up term. It meant nothing. But Pompeo did something else. He admitted that the United States is behind a very dynamic and very critical power curve in the Arctic. We only have one icebreaker. The Chinese have two 
two. They're building more. Russia's got 40 with three being built right now, 12 more over the next decade. We are losing the power struggle in the Arctic, and there's a lot of national security issues that are uh, are in play there and that kind of a thing. So I thought, all right, I'm going to talk to people I know in the administration, the CIA, so on and so forth. And the more I dug into this, the more I saw, wow, this is really the next Cold War, no pun intended, is above the Arctic, and the Chinese are driving this along with the Russians. And I said, fantastic, great set piece to play out a fun spy thriller. How much, and I want to come back to the Arctic politics, because you acknowledge in the book, at the end, not in the novel part of it, in your acknowledgments, the former National Security Advisor, Robert O'Brien, who's also been sounding clarion call and alarm on this stuff. There is a device in the book where you find out, and this is not a huge spoiler, that the Russians and the Chinese are actually colluding and working with each other on something pretty sinister and alarming that would get around U.S. technology in certain ways. Is that, I'm sort of hoping, fiction, or is there some basis in fact there too? It's a little mixture of both. Everything I do is a little bit fact, a little bit fiction. Uh, but that's it's 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 probably more fiction than fact. There's been rumors that they've been working on something like this. It is a key goal of the Russians to get this piece of technology. If they could get this, they would be the happiest. Uh, power on the planet. And the fact is, is that the Russians suck at technology. They're really bad. They can't machine tools that are consistent, and uh, they can't keep satellites in space. So the Chinese are offering some really interesting things to the Russians in the real world to get things they want in return, like free passage through the northwest or the northern sea route over the top of Russia that would not only help speed up cargo ships from Shanghai to Europe, but would also allow the PLA Navy to come down and threaten the United States on the East Coast and not be stopped before that point. It's a very dangerous strategic move by the Chinese. So that's the the real world stuff that plays into the fiction in the book. So we actually are an Arctic power, not a near Arctic power, right? Because of Alaska. Correct. And we're also the global superpower, at least for now, the global hegemon. And I hope it stays that way. But obviously we're being challenged in reality. Obviously there's method to your madness. You focus on certain things, not just for the entertainment value. And the books are always highly entertaining and highly readable and very exciting and, you know, keeps you on the edge of your seat. But you also want to impart information to your readers. I think that's part of the reason why you just, you know, crush the bestseller list every time a book comes out. People want to see what you've cooked up and you decided, okay, yes, this is a point of emphasis. I want to educate myself and then the readers in this entertaining way about the battle for the Arctic and strategically why it matters. It kind of seems like this godforsaken, extremely cold you know, icy area up there. Who wants to spend any time up there? Humans don't really survive up there. Why should we be concerned? Well, it's a good question. So as you said, my, my first job is to entertain people, give you a white knuckle, edge of your seat thrill ride. If I've done that, I've done my job as an entertainer. If you walk away with a little bit more knowledge of a certain geopolitical issue or how an agency works or why this national security policy is important, if you get that just through the fun of reading one of my thrillers, then I've done my job as an American. The fact is, regardless of what you think about climate change and scientists that change the data and fudge it and all this kind of stuff, the ice in the Arctic is melting. 
temperatures are rising up there twice as fast as anywhere else on the planet. That's just fact. And what's happening is, is with the ice melting and all the slush up there, people are able to access different parts of the Arctic they could never access before. And there are huge mineral deposits, natural gas, and oil deposits up there, or oil reserves. Uh, the Russians have reopened over 50 shuttered Cold War Soviet bases, and the Chinese are trying to get a foothold up there, too, so Wait, that so they let me become just, a power player. I just want you to repeat that, because you know, Russia is not anything close to what it was at the height of the Cold War in the Soviet Union, but... Putin's an awful guy. They would love to at least play at that table again. They want sort of like revanchist Russia. They want to come back and exert their influence, which I think is a dangerous thing for a number of different reasons. There are military bases, you just said, that were closed after the Soviets lost the Cold War. It's like, okay, it's just Russia now. We're scaling way back. You're saying they're ramping back up. They are reopening naval bases in the Arctic that have been dozens of them that have been closed for years. That's happening in real life now. So all sorts of bases, not just naval bases, airfields and things like this, over 50. And it, it's a big deal. And in fact, the Russians also are trying to lay a claim to all of the resources that are up there. They actually took a submarine and had a little, had a little robotic arm come out of the submarine and place a titanium flagpole with a Russian flag on the seabed at the North Pole. They are trying to claim that their their continental shelf, if you will, land of Russia, extends all the way to the North Pole so they can claim the resources up there. So this is like a gold rush is on, and it is becoming increasingly more militarized up there. There are uh, early warning systems that are at risk, and the possibility for the Russians to launch on the United States, that's always been a big deal. The Russians have always prided themselves on being able to reserve the second strike capacity. If they can get ships and subs out out to sea without being seen, then they can hit back at the United States if we ever fire on them first. So there's a lot of strategic reasons and a lot of um, uh, economic reasons for us to be focused on there. And it, it, we, are, we are getting very close to this being a hair trigger thing where war could break out in the Arctic. And so I said, I see this as tomorrow's headlines and I want to write about it today. Well, the Russians are also going to have to get through Santa Claus up there. I mean, they, they've got some obstacles at the North Pole, but the U.S. needs to be chief among them. Brad, before I let you go, you mentioned how people who may be introduced to you for the very first time on this show, or they're going to see you on this book tour. Okay, Black Ice, this sounds intriguing. Then they hear me say this is novel number 20 in the Scott Harvath series. You said, never fear, pick up this book, and you can pick up Right where we left off, you, you're not missing anything. You can just, in isolation, enjoy this book. You don't have any backstory that will prevent you from enjoying it at all. But your series does build on itself to a certain extent. And now that you're looking back at 20 of these Harvath novels, after people buy and read Black Ice, if they're new to your work, is there one that you would recommend in retrospect? Maybe your next one, the second book that you pick up and read, what would that be in your mind? I'm just curious. Well, in my mind, it would be Spymaster, because Spymaster deals with the recent RAND Corporation study that uh, showed that if Russia went after uh, a particular trio of NATO allies and took them over, we would be unable to wrench them out of Russia's control. And I think Spymaster is also very timely. It's a few books back. All right. But definitely. 
I my answer personally as a fan is Lions of Lucerne, the OG, <laughs> your one. very first. I think it's so good. Also, the Last Patriot, which I think was your first number one bestseller. Yep. Those would be near the top of my list. But there have been a few recently that have been riveting, including Black Ice, which is out tomorrow by Brad Thor, our friend, New York Times number one bestselling author. Let's hope this one goes number one as well. Brad, appreciate it. Good luck with the book. Congratulations and appreciate the little shout out for Adam Benson, the character. You bet. Thanks, Guy. (laughs) Brad Thor on The Guy Benson Show. Happy Hour resumes next. The Guy Benson Show. More next. That was this week's edition of The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at FoxAcrossAmerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.